0: Have we ever had four people on the show before?
1: No. There might be a reason why, too. You know. we, we'll, <laughs> we'll, find, we'll find out.
0: Hey, readers. I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 331. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, if you've ever wanted the perfect tote bag to carry your latest library haul or indie bookstore buys, I have great news for you. The What Should I Read Next Door is open. We're excited to share our 2022 collection of products. We've created a cozy, stylish t-shirt, a book-worthy tote, and the most delightful book darts, all to help inspire and equip your reading lifestyle. Order yours now at modernmrsdarcy.com store. And once your order arrives, we'd love to see you in action with your What Should I Read Next gear. Tag us on Instagram at What Should I Read Next and show us your merch. And if you wanted to show us what's in your reading tote as well, we wouldn't mind a bit. Get your gear at ModernMrsDarcy.com slash store.
1: Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China.
1: I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana.
2: We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th.
0: Readers, summer is so close that we can almost taste it. And today we're celebrating summer reading with three special guests. Having four avid readers together on the podcast is a what should I read next first. Joining me today are my husband, Will, and two of our reading buddies, Melissa Juwan and Dave Humphries who you may recognize from episode 219, Required Reading Revisited. Mel and Dave are the creators of Strong Sense of Place, a podcast that pairs far-flung destinations around the world with books that evoke the experience of being there. The four of us took a delightful trip to Scotland in the before times, an amazing destination that we paired with winter reading picks that were perfect for that time and place. Now, today, with summer reading just around the corner, It felt like the right time to get the four of us back together to talk about some of our enduring summer picks. The four of us have a spirited conversation about what makes a book a summer read, and we share a stack of titles that convey a strong sense of summer. Our conversation has me even more excited about choosing my next summer read, and I think you'll feel the same. Let's get to it. Mel and Dave and William, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's so good to see you.
3: We're so excited to be talking to you guys. It's been way too long since we got to talk about books with you. Yeah. I think it was on Voxer last
0: week, but I appreciate the thought. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe talking about books in public. (laughs) Oh, that's so much better. We can at least see your faces. Listeners, I wish you could see our faces right now. So Will and I are in our respective home offices in Louisville, Kentucky, and Mel and Dave are in different rooms of their apartment in Prague. And we're just so glad to be together back on What Should I Read Next? This is also uncharted What Should I Read Next territory. So Mel and Dave, thank you for being the first to join us along with William and myself for our four-person episode of the show. Six and a half years in, this is a milestone. We know each other from, I mean, the short version is the internet. I was thinking about that
3: earlier, actually. Like I bag on the internet and social media a lot in private because I find it very anxiety producing. But then today I realized that's how you and I became friends. And that's pretty amazing.
0: I have to say, Will and I were just discussing how social media might be the devil, we were actually discussing <laughs> a recent Jonathan Haidt article that's been making waves, and it seems appropriate to pull him in here since his book, The Righteous Mind, has been a favorite of several What Should I Read Next guests. But we were talking about how blogs were actually pretty great. I think Jonathan Haidt mm-hmm. says blogs were pretty great. A lot of my internet friends, that's how I first connected with them. Mm-hmm. And they're no longer internet friends. They're just plane friends right
1: you haven't done international travel with all your internet friends so no (laughs) Mel and Dave you
0: all are the only ones okay so first Mel and I became friends and then I think working the dates out it was in 2016 or maybe even 2015 that I got a landmark email (laughs) from you Mel it said um
3: We're going to Wigton, Scotland to run a bookstore. And I'm wondering if you and Will want to come with us. (laughs) And we had never met in person. I had been a guest on your show. Yeah, you guys said yes. And I was like, these are our people because they said yes to a really crazy idea.
4: Let's step back and explain the crazy idea, too. (laughs) Because there's so Wigton is the book town of Scotland. There's a bookstore there. The bookstore is also an Airbnb. So there's a store on the bottom floor and there's an apartment on the top floor. And you rent it out for a week. And for that week, you are running that bookstore. It is crazy popular. I think we put in our reservation as soon as we heard about it. And it was about two and a half years between when we made the reservation and when we actually got there.
0: I checked my email history this morning and on February 11th, 2018, I got an email that indicated that plans were well underway and had been for some time.
1: And then we went that December? Yeah,
0: we went December of 2018 and it was magical. It was pretty epic.
1: There's a lot of pressure traveling with other people. Traveling with strangers is definitely a a little harder, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, that was great.
3: I mean, I feel like if you describe that situation outside of the context of us being who we are, it's like these people are insane. Like who does that?
1: <laughs> oh, we left out a lot of details when we asked my mom to stay with the kids. We're just like, oh, well, we're meeting friends. Like it was just like we don't need to explain all this.
0: Although I will say by that point in time, it wasn't it wasn't weird anymore. Especially you and I were in a, a, a group of female business owners together where we saw each other on video. All yeah. the time. And you really yeah. do feel like you know somebody yeah, it's when, when you do that. But I felt like by 2018, we were far removed from the days of me mentioning that I was going to get together with a Twitter friend for coffee <laughs> and my other friend who wasn't on the internet saying like, oh my gosh, you're going to get murdered. Like we we had moved, we had moved beyond that stage. But we did, we went to Scotland together, the four of us and your friend from cartoon school, Tilly Walden, whose books have been recommended on What Should I Read Next?
4: Yeah, she's since gone on to be international star of cartoons, Tilly Walden.
0: At the time, Tom of Type Wronger Books was still real excited when she said, I wrote that, do you want me to sign it?
4: <laughs> I think that was about
0: spinning her debut. Yeah. yeah. Listeners, I know that you have a lot of questions about the open book and Wigton and when you can go and how you can find out. And Mel and Dave and myself have written about this extensively on our respective sites. So you can find that information on Strong Sense of Place and you can find it on Modern Mrs. Darcy. And I'm sure we touched on it when you all were on the podcast two years ago. You want to go back and listen to that episode. I feel like
3: Type Books made such an impression on me that I will talk about it at any given opportunity.
0: I agree. I'm so grateful I got to go. And Will and I are so grateful that you invited us to crash your long plan trip and come along. <laughs> that was such a wonderful experience. <laughs> and I need to mention that for a bit of Wigton flavor, I recorded a podcast episode on our trip with Scottish bookseller, Ruth. And that episode, we'll put it in show notes for you. But it's recorded in her bookstore, which was a door or two down from the open book, I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. out the
4: door and around the corner to the right there. And she was lovely. Mm-hmm. She's just- She's great. So well, she won you all
0: over immediately when she pushed through the doors of the open book and complimented Mel's pun that she had put <laughs> on the stand-up <laughs> sign advertising the fact that the store was open. We liked her immediately. So we have done winter reading together before, and that is its own mood. But now it's almost summer reading season, and that has a very different energy. Mel and Dave, I'm so glad that we get to talk about this with you because your podcast, Strong Sense of Place, is built on a very particular premise. Before we start talking about a strong sense of summer, what does it mean for something to have a strong sense of place? I'm very, very
3: particular about the books that I choose that I think have a strong sense of place. For me, it has to really transport me there beyond having street names or a mention of landmarks it needs to evoke the sounds of the street the energy of the people the kind of food the smells that you would smell when you step out of the airport or off the train or i don't know let's make it really romantic get off of a boat at the port. (laughs) Like, what does that air smell like? What are you hearing? Um, So that's what we look for in the books that we recommend on our show
4: life's too short to go everywhere. <laughs> and so we read and we try to get a sense of what those other places are like. And for me, I think one of the greatest things about it is it really helps me extend my my empathy, right? I get a sense of a place and the people who occupy that place. I need a sense of authenticity that, it, that I feel like the author is has been there, has experienced it, has done the thing, and it has a strong sense of place.
0: Oh, what Dave doesn't know is that Mel Mel and I were just talking this week about an author who wrote a book (laughs) set in a certain city you're very familiar with who had never been there, and it kind of
1: showed.
4: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I read a book uh, set in Louisville recently, and they mentioned a couple of Louisville places. I'm like, cool, Mm -hmm. cool. And then I got to the end and I forgot it was set in Louisville. Like there was just nothing about it that said (laughs) it was our town. So they mentioned a couple of places, I'm like, yeah, I know where that is. I get where that is. But over time, I just totally forget. It could have been anywhere. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. When I think Strong sends a place, I think not just a book that could be set anywhere and it would be fine. I think of a book that mm-hmm. couldn't be set anywhere else because exactly. the setting matters so much to the story. Yeah.
3: yeah. I have to say that one of the best reading and then visiting experiences I had was actually a book I read before we went to Edinburgh. It's called City of Ghosts and it's a <laughs> middle grade novel. It's about ghost hunters so they go to all of the haunted places in Edinburgh and then we went to those places. I enjoyed the book when I was reading it and then it deepened the experience of the book when I saw those places and there was this feeling of recognition when I went to those places even though I'd never been there before because the descriptions in the book were so evocative. That is exactly the kind of experience we're hoping to have for all of the books we recommend on our show. Like, that's what
0: we want, to
3: have that feeling of recognition.
0: But if you'd never been to Edinburgh, you would still get to experience it through the pages of City of Ghosts. But having been to Edinburgh, or having subsequently gone to Edinburgh, it really added to your reading experience. So your podcast is called Strong Sense of Place. What do you do every week there?
4: So every episode of Strong Sense of Place, we take a look at one destination. And then we talk about five books we love that are set in that destination. So we are sort of looking at different angles of a particular place. And the books that we read are all over the place. They're fiction, of course, but we also do nonfiction, graphic novels, photography, poetry, cookbooks. We try to cover the whole bookstore.
3: We try to let our curiosity about a place drive what we talk about and we try to choose books that give a broad look at the destination. So we're pretty deliberate about picking things that cover different aspects of the culture or history or landmarks, different kinds of people, so that by the end of the show, you feel like it's like a
0: travel show that went through a library. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like if you're interested in a destination, you often offer something for all different kinds of readers. Actually, in a couple of weeks, we're having a guest on What Should I Read Next, who is a travel agent. And something she started doing and wants to do more of is recommending books about a destination or set in a particular destination to her clients so they can prepare for their travel experience, read them while they're there, keep lovingly remembering their trip after they get home through books. As you'll hear, we wanted to choose books for all types of readers set in these various destinations. Um, so she could give them to her clients, and any kind of reader could find a book that would transport them to that place. And that's what you will do every week, minus the booking the actual tickets <laughs> and reserving the <laughs> hotels. That
4: we, we had, a, we actually had a listener contact us once and say that she and her family had gone to Peru because they'd heard our <laughs> our, <gasps> our episode on Peru. Uh, that was just amazing to me. <laughs>
0: you never know what's going to capture your imagination. You never do. Yeah. Now, what does it mean for something to have a strong sense of summer?
4: For me, that's something that's going to evoke summer. Like there's summer reading, which is the book that you read next to the pool. But something that has a strong sense of summer is the book that you read that describes being by the pool, that gets you excited about being by the pool, that like makes you think, this is going to be great. I'm going to go sit by the pool. For me, that (laughs) a strong sense of summer evokes what it is. You know, the, the qualities of summer that you want to have.
1: And since all of summer is by the pool, I take it that means you didn't grow up near the beach? It's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Okay, It's right. a metaphor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, something I think that's so interesting about summer reading is that we all bring our own experience of what summer means to everything we read. So I grew up going to the beach, but I didn't Mm. live by the water. And I grew up next to hot places, not cold places. And yet I think I can still recognize the experience of someone else's summer in a variety of reads. As I've been thinking about summer books, not books you read in the summer, but summery books in preparation for today's episode. I kept thinking about this quote I read years ago in Colson Whitehead's novel, Sag Harbor. The narrator is a 15-year-old boy, and he comments that there was summer and there was the rest of the year. And while I (laughs) love every season of the reading life, summer is set apart in my mind. But that's summer reading. So a book with a strong sense of summer goes back to what we said about strong sense of place. It's a book that couldn't be set anywhere else, like geographically, but couldn't happen at any other time of year. Yeah, because it is a summer story. It happens in the summer and it happens then for a reason.
1: Is that how we're defining summer? And do my books have to fit that description? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we are
4: 45 minutes into this and I'm like, oh, are these my books?
2: Okay. All right, yeah. I'll make it work.
0: I'll make it work. Let's go. What does strong sense of summer mean to you, William?
1: I agree with Dave. I think I think it's a sense like that that evoking a feeling, whether that be you're reading about someone who's by the pool, or you're reading the book and it's like actually making you feel like you have to sweat. Like it's just like you get the sense <laughs> that like. This is the summer time. There's also just like the distinction between the summer and the rest of the year. There's a sense of like freedom in summer. Maybe this is only true for kids. I still feel a little bit like it's different, though.
0: I think we all experienced it growing up, though. Yeah. Like that's ingrained in you forever. Yeah, so there's a
1: lot of like freedom. And, and so there's that um, uh, ability to explore and wander and and have kind of less rigidity in your everyday life.
0: Something that's common to the summer books I love is that that freedom to explore and wonder also lands the the characters in a whole heap of trouble. And I enjoy yes. that too. Well, Mel and Dave, you're the experts when it comes to a strong sense of place. And <laughs> Will and I, I think we have our bona fides with summer reading. So we thought it would be really fun to bring those things together and each recommend a couple of titles, probably backlist titles that have a strong sense of summer, books that we really love. That we find ourselves recommending often and that we think our listeners may enjoy considering for their own summer reading and beyond. Are you ready? Ready. Yes. Dave, take it away.
4: My first book, my first recommendation is a book called This One Summer by Mariko Tamaki. And illustrated by her cousin, Jillian Tamaki, this is a graphic novel. It came out in uh, 2014. It's a family story, and it's set during a single summer at a lake house. The central character is a girl named Rose who's 12. She goes on holiday with her parents. She has a local friend, Wendy. Wendy is 10. That setup, I think, makes it sound like it's intended for 12-year-olds. It's not. It's a coming-of-age story, and the coming-of-age story has parallels between Rose and Wendy, who are 10 and 12, the local teenage sort of gang, and Rose's parents. And you explore sort of summer and growing up through all three of those stories the attention to detail in this book is amazing for me the way like a uh, water is illustrated and the little looks that family members give each other and the way a 10-year-old sort of dances across the page there and the things that teenagers do when they're bored oh my gosh this was just like resonant for me uh, it put me on a gravel road in converse with no socks walk into a store to get a an ice cream bar. like It's so strong with summer. Also, if you don't read graphic novels, this is a great place to start because it's beautiful, because the story hangs together, and because it's sort of a simple story in a way. Mel and I talk sometimes about writers who seem to be struggling for greatness, (laughs) right? You get sometimes those books where you feel like the author is really trying. This is not that book. This is a really nice, well-told story and the frame is just just fantastic. This One Summer was the first graphic novel to receive a, a Caldecott honor. It also got a Prince and an Eisner and an Ignatz, basically all the awards this is one of those books that came out in the industry it was just like here, take everything. That book is This One Summer by Mariko Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki.
0: I love that you started with a graphic novel. <laughs> Mel,
3: have you read this one? I haven't, but every time Dave describes a book, I immediately want to read the book, which is a good problem to have, but also a problem a with problem. our show.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem. We don't share books or information until we start recording. We'll sit down and start talking about books. And yeah, my TBR just keeps growing because
0: Mel talks about awesome stuff. Anyone who's ever listened to a good book podcast knows this struggle well. <laughs> <laughs> I like to look at it as a gift that we will never run out of great books to read. Mel, you can approach your to-be-read list with the spirit of summer that Will was just talking about. You have freedom to explore (laughs) and wander (laughs) and discover. So much great stuff lies ahead. Dave, what else did you bring today? My second book,
4: we need to talk about ice cream. So for me, ice cream is a year-round treat. One of my favorite parts of fall is the line recedes at the ice cream parlor and now I can get ice cream freely. Halloween, Christmas, New Year's, not a problem. But there's something special about ice cream in the summer. And there's something even more special about homemade ice cream. And that's what I'm talking about. So there's the absolute magic of putting like five ingredients into an ice cream maker and watching that turn into just sweet, fresh cream. And that's a joy in part because it makes me feel like a wizard.
2: (laughs) I have made (laughs)
4: this thing ice cream. I'm here to tell you, if you don't have an ice cream maker... Absolutely go and get one now, an electric one, nothing fancier than that. You'll want to get a copy of Ben and Jerry's homemade ice cream and dessert book. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. This is an ancient book. Let's call it a classic. Uh, it came out in 1987, <laughs> made back when Ben and Jerry were two hippies in Vermont with an outrageously successful ice cream business. And that book recaptures that era. Every page has these really great watercolor illustrations, and the whole book is sort of a small rectangle. And every page is different from one another. Every page is individually illustrated. But the real draw, of course, is the recipes that they show you how to make ice cream. They start with the simple stuff bases and vanilla and three kinds of chocolate. And then they show you how to add stuff, peaches and strawberries and coffee and Oreos and Kit Kats and all that good stuff. And then they get into more exotic things like maple walnut and peanut brittle and ginger snaps. Then in the back of the book, they tell you how to make sauces or make brownies to put your ice cream on or how to make a killer sundae and then in the end you're stuck with the dilemma of whether you want to take your ice cream to a social gathering and be a big hero or whether you're going to stay home and enjoy it yourself <laughs> and either way huge victory that's ben and jerry's homemade ice cream and dessert book by ben cohen and jerry greenfield with illustrations by Nancy J. Stevens. I have questions.
1: <laughs> there's there's a lot going on in Ben and Jerry's ice cream, right? Are these yeah. recipes you can make? Like, have you made these? Absolutely.
4: Well, And they ramp up, right? So if you're uncomfortable with your ice cream making skills, you can start sort of simply, and then you can get into stuff that's more multiple ingredients, if you have that kind of patience. We've used this cookbook a lot,
3: and it is magical. We like ice cream.
1: Adding that to my (laughs) TBR.
3: And it's, as Dave said, like, it's such a nostalgia trip to flip through this book because the illustrations are very 1980s Ben and Jerry marketing.
0: It's very cute and very sweet. Dave, that's not the book I expected you to share, but I'm so glad you did. (laughs) Mel, what did you bring for us? My
3: first pick is Joyland by Stephen King. Oh, (laughs) didn't see that coming. And I need to explain some things. First, I am not a huge Stephen King fan, not because I don't like scary books. I do. But because I feel like his books start really strong and hook me with the characters. And then about halfway through, I kind of get a little lost in the weeds and I never finish them. (laughs) But I think he is a phenomenal writer in terms of developing characters. And I love his nonfiction book on writing, which is about how to write the writing process and his experience when he had his accident. So it's a very personal, like autobiographical book about how to write. And I reread that every couple of years to get inspired. This book, Joyland, is not scary. It is not a horror novel. It's a very bittersweet coming of age story. It does have some of the elements of a horror novel. Here's the setup. So it's a bittersweet, eerie, kind of of coming-of-age story set in an amusement park by the beach in North Carolina in 1973. So it has tons of atmosphere. It's got this kind of nostalgic retro feel to it because of the 70s setting And the thing that I really love about this book is that it's infused with that feeling. I don't know if you guys felt this way when you were teenagers. When I was 17, I always had this feeling of feeling like I was waiting for my life to start feeling like I was on the cusp of something and being really impatient to get things going, but also feeling at the same time, like I'm a kid and I'm supposed to be carefree and having fun. And that kind of push pull was going on all the time. This book perfectly captures that. The hero of the story is Devin. He's a college student with literary aspirations. He has just gotten his heart broken in spectacular fashion. And he decides to go work at this amusement park in North Carolina. The amusement park is kind of run down. There are carnies who are kind of jaded and have worked there for decades. There's a fortune teller who may or may not actually have the site. There is an unsolved murder that happened in the horror house at the amusement park. So Devin walks in there. He kind of has a little bit of a bad attitude. He is given the job of wearing the furry costume of Howie the Happy Hound, who is the mascot of the amusement park. So it's summer and it's hot and he's in this big furry costume. The kids who come to the amusement park absolutely love him and this earns the respect of his coworkers. And suddenly he finds himself as part of this community in this town that he just kind of moved to by happenstance. And then one night he thinks he sees a ghost. And he decides that he is going to try to solve the murder of the Funhouse killer.
0: So you said this wasn't a horror novel, but that sounds plenty creepy for me. It is creepy. It is not a horror novel. There is no gore. There's
3: not slasher things that happen Mm -hmm. on the page. There are some ghostly happenings. But the majority of the story is about the metaphorical things that haunt us loss and facing sorrow, kind of moving through the sad things that happen to you in life. And all of that is kind of wrapped up in this murder mystery coming of age story. I've read this book at least three times. I really, really love it. Okay, this is my ugly confession Don't kick me off the show. (laughs) I don't actually like summer that much. (laughs) I don't like to be hot. And I find sometimes the long days, the sky staying light until well past bedtime makes me feel pressure that I'm supposed to be having fun. At the same time that I say that, I also have very nostalgic feelings for the summer that you have when you're a kid, where, as Will mentioned, like, There are no boundaries. There's more time to explore. The days just feel so long. And like you can just play and explore and have fun. And this book is infused with that feeling. At the same time, there's also a little bit of sense of unease, kind of like when you can feel in the summer air that a storm is coming and it hasn't quite broken. This would be a good Stephen King book to try if you think Stephen King is too scary for you.
4: Yeah, I read this a couple of years ago, and I think, as I recall, it's like maybe a PG-13 story. Yeah. There's some stuff. But my other takeaway from reading that book is that I absolutely chose the wrong career as a, as a young teen. <laughs> <laughs> I was a, a horrible camp counselor, and I should have been at least a mediocre amusement park worker. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Mel, what else did you bring today? My second book is completely different. It's called Last Summer at the Golden Hotel by Alyssa Friedland.
0: Oh, I've heard you talk about this one before, and I still haven't read it.
3: If Dirty Dancing was a book instead of a movie and was set now instead of in the 1960s, it could be this book. It's set at the fictional Golden Hotel in the Catskills. And for people who aren't familiar... The Catskills are mountains in southeastern New York. They're about 90 miles from Manhattan. The whole area is dotted with lakes for swimming and fishing. And there are forests where you can go hiking. And in the summer, the temperature is 15 to 20 degrees cooler than in New York City. That means that in 1940, the Catskills were the place to take a summer vacation if you were a person with a little bit of expendable income in Manhattan this is where you went. There were over 500 all-inclusive resorts that had gourmet meals and tennis courts and swimming pools and like big national acts would travel to perform there. So Louis Armstrong, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, like this was the place to go. And that is the world of this book, except the story takes place now. And the days of like playing bridge, in a paneled game room, and a heart-shaped hot tub have passed. <laughs> People are not interested in those things anymore. The Golden Hotel is owned by the Goldman and the Weingold families. They have been friends for decades and have been running the hotel together. And now, and now there's an offer for a big conglomerate to buy the Golden Hotel. And the families, the adults, grandchildren have all descended on the hotel to have a family reunion and decide if they are going to try to save the hotel or if they're going to sell it. As I like to say, hijinks ensue. Secrets are revealed. (laughs) There's a little romance. There's some heartbreak. It's basically all of the things you would want in an imaginary summer vacation.
0: And isn't that why we read to go on to summer vacations that we can't? (laughs)
3: 100%. I am very attracted to comical family stories where if you actually knew those people, you would probably not be happy that they're your family, but vicariously having them be your family is really fun. The vibe of this book is almost like a 1930s screwball comedy. Sometimes there are very funny set pieces and there's some really like wise cracking dialogue. But then there are also these really sincerely emotional moments that I found really touching. And the ending was perfect. It was really sweet, it was very satisfying. It's very frothy and fun, right? This is a good time, but it also is really poignant in that it's exploring how even good things sometimes have a natural end. And when they end is when you get a chance to have a new
0: beginning, to try something new. Okay, expect a lot more hotels and the related manor houses (laughs) from Mal when you follow along. It's true. All right, William, what did you choose for your books?
1: I love to read outdoor books. I think, what should I read next? Folks know that. The Summertime, maybe because that's when I got to explore, right? Like that seems like a great time to explore. uh, Even now, like we we like to go camping in the summer and that sort of thing. So uh, nonfiction books that really are about people getting out and seeing things and doing stuff, even if it's not specifically about summer. First book is On the Burning Edge. This one's about the uh hotshots that fought the Yarnell Hill fire. Uh this is maybe 10 years ago at this point. Kyle Dickman had the author had been a hotshot in a previous life uh and then uh after this incident where a whole I don't know what they call them platoons I have, I have no idea firefighters a crew perished in in fighting this fire and there's a lot of questions as to how they ended up where they were and why you know what was the the reasoning for this incident it was a terrible fire altogether but they really shouldn't have been in the spot they were to have this kind of tragedy and so he went and and um visited with uh the couple of people who either weren't working that day or weren't there you know that, that survived um and all the families and all that and reported this um and as a former hotshot like understood a whole lot about it but tells you a ton about the the West. But the houses that people are building closer and closer to the woods and like why we have sort of this, not just do we have like these terrible fires that are worse, but like they're also harder to control and fight and and there's more at stake um, with them. Uh, Just amazing story. It will make you feel hot i mean it's it's just crazy these you know these guys go day, days without showers and it's you know 100 degrees outside and they're wearing a bunch of equipment and standing next to a fire you know literally like next to a fire they're cutting brush and stuff like that there's a fire they're like oh it's not coming at us so we can stand right here because it's 30 feet away or whatever but yeah great great story of uh heroics uh, and tragedy oh when you talk y'all you
0: keep talking about books that make you feel hot and i keep thinking about our modern mrs darcy book club community manager ginger Horton, who often talks about reading the dry and being like, I need some lemonade. I need another glass of lemonade. Somebody bring me some lemonade. (laughs) Because Jane Harper is describing like the unbearably hot Australian setting. William, I read a book during the summer many years ago by Sebastian Younger, his collection of short essays called Fire. And I think because I read it in the summer and because it was so it's, it's set in the wilderness. I think of that also as being a summertime book. I love that. I'm wondering if I should read this one.
1: I would say probably. I mean, because this has much more of a story to it as well. Mm -hmm. So like uh, Sebastian Younger is essays, um, but this one will give you a little plot and it does move quite a bit. It takes place over the course of a summer, but the fire was pretty Mm -hmm. early in the season. There's maybe two or three lead up chapters and then the rest of the book is all in three days or something as they're fighting this fire.
0: How interesting that it was written 10 years ago and yet fire season has grown increasingly worse. And that's something that I think is on more of our minds, especially as we move
1: into the hotter summer months in the U.S.,
0: Okay, interesting, William. What else did you bring?
1: My next book is very summery. So we talked earlier about uh, if if Dave's experience of summer is just sitting by the pool. Like, did he ever go to the beach? Like, people do have different experiences (laughs) of summer. So, but this one is called "The Eight Mountains" by Paolo Cognetti. Uh, This is about a couple of boys that live in the Italian Alps, and one of them lives in Milan, and one of them is from the, the small community. There in the Alps, but the one from Milan, his family is from there. And so they summer back in the mountains and he gets to know this local boy. Yeah, it, it's not hot, right? I mean, at the top of the mountains when there's storm coming and all that, like they, they have like danger of like actual cold weather right at the, at the top mm-hmm. of the mountains. But there's just this amazing of like freedom that they their parents just let them run um, I don't remember when it was set, but it's a small town. And then you have all this wild space and they just let the boys go. And so uh, Bruno, the, the local kid, is like showing off all of the little nooks and crannies that, you know, he's got his favorite creek and, and there's trails that they want to go on. And and there's a, an abandoned uh, farmhouse or something like that, that that uh, apparently the local kids go get in trouble in, you know. And uh, so he's showing this all off to Pietro um, as they come over a number of summers. So they get to know each other over a couple of years. And, and grow up together and it's this respite because his family's not happy in Milan so you know he, his dad has this job that he has to be there but they're always longing to go back to the mountains and but his parents have kind of a different relationship with the mountains that his dad's after like adventure and wants to climb them all and conquer them and and see the top and do you know do, do all these like things and Pietro and Bruno just kind of want to like be Dave was listing a bunch of awards for the uh, graphic novel that I had not heard of. So I will tell you all this one won (laughs) the Strega Prize, Italy's most prestigious literary award. That's The Eight Mountains by Paolo Cignetti.
3: That sounds really good. And the thing that I find really appealing about that is the idea that they go back multiple years. I really love stories that are set in a compressed time frame. So the first book you talked about is really interesting to me for that reason. And then I also love stories where people revisit the same place year after year and kind of have their relationship grow through that time, that is like catnip to me. That sounds really good.
0: (sighs) Oh, okay. No pressure. But now it's my turn after those six amazing sounding titles. I'm going to start with a book that many readers know, many have read, many more have heard of and not read that I don't think we often think of as being a summer novel, despite the fact I would say that the chain of events that gets set in motion on a sweltering summer day in 1935 at the beginning of this novel depends on it being a sweltering summer day. And I should probably tell you before I go any further, this book is Ian McEwan's Atonement, which came out just over 20 years ago now. And it does open at, oh, Mel, it opens at a family mansion Not a manor house, again, cousin, (laughs) in the Surrey countryside. So this is totally your jam so far. Mm -hmm. And there's a house party where all the rich people are gathering to try to find some escape from the heat because it's not like they can crank on their air conditioning. We've talked about being hot and thirsty, but you also know that oppressive, oh, I'm so cranky. It has to stop. I just can't take it kind of feeling that happens when it's hot.
4: By the way, that's Mel at like 82. (laughs) (laughs)
0: No lies
3: (laughs) detected. That is true.
0: (laughs) At this family home in the Surrey countryside, the rich people are gathered along with the friend of the family who the wealthy patriarch has kind of taken under his wing to look out for him a bit. So I want to give you all this setup without telling you anything specific, which is tricky. But when you're reading the book, you'll go, oh, no. And I don't want to take those moments away from you. But I will tell you this much. There is a long sweltering afternoon, and a 13-year-old girl, the daughter of the family, happens to be looking out the window when she sees her older, mature, almost grown-up sister just stripping off her clothes in desperation and just, like, plunging into the fountain to cool off. And she notices the man whom the patriarch has taken under his wing watching, and she thinks, hmm... And later that evening, when something tragic and traumatic happens, she can't get that out of her head. So I left out a big bunch of important parts involving a note that was never intended to get delivered, but did. And a huge misunderstanding and a massive injustice that alters everyone's lives forever. But we got to start with a sweltering summer afternoon. What happens next, I think, is what many more people remember about the book. We shift forward five years to a wartime setting. And the rest of the story, minus the controversial, as in some readers adore it and some readers despise it, epilogue not said during the war. But what I really like about this book is that it's minutely detailed and also feels expansive in its scope. And doesn't that feel like summer? That sounds like something... I need to read almost immediately. Have you not read Atonement? See, you never know because so many people have and yet you don't want to assume.
3: I can see why you would assume that I had read it. Manor House Party. Misunderstanding secrets, notes
0: that get delivered to the wrong person. Yes, please. (laughs) Okay, for my final title, you all left like the glitzy beach book with a turquoise kind of cover? Uncovered. So I feel like I got to bring it. I had lots of options to, you know, like balance to round out our assortment here. And while this book does not have a turquoise cover, by golly, it totally could have. It is (laughs) Who is Maude Dixon, a novel by Alexandra Andrews. And this just came out last year, but it has serious vibes from older authors like Patricia Highsmith with a serious dose of Vanity Fair vibes An aspiring writer. Who feels desperate, even though she's not like desperately hot, she's just desperate. And th- we think she's kind of pathetic if she weren't so darn conniving and scary. So she's a grunt worker at a publishing house, but she knows that she is destined to be famous and she feels like she deserves it, but she's not really keen to do it the old-fashioned way of writing something good. Instead, she's trying to uh, manipulate and blackmail and put people in terrible situations so they will have to give her great jobs. But then she receives this fortuitously timed offer, even though she's just been fired, to become assistant to a blockbuster novelist whose identity is unknown. Nobody knows. And that is in fact part of the appeal to her. Like she'll be in on the secret if she takes the job. This novelist goes by the pen name Maud Dixon. And she is a household name because she wrote this novel called Mississippi Foxtrot that sold a scandalous number of copies. And it was a coming-of-age story about two teenage girls and a murder. And now she needs a new assistant so that she can finally get some work done on her sophomore novel. And she won't tell anybody what it's about but it's it's going to be good. It's also going to be set in Morocco. And so the novelist invites Florence to come along on a trip. And you might be thinking here like, oh, Morocco. If Mel and Dave cover Morocco, I hope they talk about this book. That is not the case. This novel has a strong sense of summer. You have these coastal drives where the characters are looking down on the shimmering waters as they hug the edge of the curve. And it makes me feel a little queasy even now remembering reading those scenes. (laughs) It had a strong sense of cliffside drive that was kind of (laughs) terrifying. And the characters are wearing summery clothes and lounging by swimming pools and drinking their, you know, drinks with little umbrellas in them. It has a strong sense of summer. It does not have a strong sense of Morocco. The book takes a suspenseful turn that I did not see coming, though I had some idea because Alexander Andrews is clearly channeling again, like the talented Mr. Ripley, right from the beginning. Something sinister is afoot. You just don't know exactly what, but summer is sure a fun time to find out. That sounds amazing. It sounds
4: really fun. That sounds like a summer blockbuster movie waiting to happen.
0: Those cliff scenes. I'm going to have to cover my eyes. (laughs) They're going to make them look real good on the big screen, though.
3: I was visualizing that as you were describing it. And I was like, yes, people in beautiful locales making bad decisions, I just realized, is something I really love.
0: (laughs) Mel and Dave and Will, thank you so much for sharing those summer reading picks. I love that with our variety of voices and opinions and just ways of talking about books, that things will appear to readers who might not have had their like ears perk up at a title otherwise. And listeners, I hope you found some good stuff today. We can't wait to hear what you are going to choose to read next this summer. And on that note, I'd love to hear what you all are planning on reading next. Dave, what's up next for you?
4: We're getting ready for our next couple of episodes. Right now I'm reading a book for Tasmania. It's called Ten Rogues by Peter Gross. It's a nonfiction adventure story about 10 prisoners stealing a ship and escaping from a prison in Tasmania. It's got uh, pirates and sharks and escaping the hangman's noose and the writers doing so far are just an excellent job of telling the story like he's sitting at a bar. It's, it's really fun.
0: <laughs> that sounds amazing.
4: After that, we're covering Appalachia. And I'm thinking about reading David Joy's Where All the Light Tends to Go, which is sort of a tough coming-of-age story, but also open to suggestions. So if anybody has any ideas about books that are set in Appalachia, I would be happy to hear from you. Speaking of David
1: Joy, he has an entire Appalachia of- book list on Bookshop. Oh, does he? Have you read Where All the Light Tends to Go? I did. I've actually read all his books, including his, I, I think he's disclaimed it, but his his memoir about fishing. Oh. <laughs> he's disclaimed it. Uh, I think he feels like it might have been an early work that didn't need to be continued in print, but yeah.
0: I will say that at the Kentucky Book Festival, he told me to make sure I didn't miss it, which doesn't sound quite like disclaiming
1: it, but this was in 2018. Did you guys like Where All the Light Tends to Go? Uh, I did. I, I don't know. I don't think Anne read it. Did you read, did you read it?
0: I, I think it's in that stack right behind me that you can.
1: They might be a little gritty for Anne, but um, like all of his books. But yes, I did. I did like that one. Actually, I like them okay. all, so I'm not. I don't mean to qualify. Like I liked that one. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I loved
1: <laughs>
0: Shiner, which is the most recent book I've read set in Appalachia by Amy Jo Burns. It was a Modern Mrs. Darcy book club selection, and we just had an amazing conversation with her, where she talked about her research trips to, among other things, sample moonshine. Oh, fun. You got to get that authenticity. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Mel, what are you reading next? I, too,
3: am preparing for our Appalachia episode. I try to sneak in some personal reading when I'm reading for our show because, as we've discussed, I am really into Manor House books and things that are murdery. The next book I want to read is actually set here in Prague because I am also voracious consumer of books set in Prague. This one is called There Was Still Love. By Australian author Favel Parrott. I was not familiar with her, but I just read another book by her called When the Night Comes, which was set in Tasmania and Antarctica. And it was really sad and beautiful. It was about this unusual friendship and family and love and loss. And it made me cry. And I loved it so much <laughs> that when I found out she had a book set in Prague, I was like, yes, I need to read that. The flap copy for both of these books is terrible in that it gives you no sense of what kind of book it is. I still don't know what kind of book There Was Still Love is going to be. The only thing I know is that it has two timelines in 1938 and 1980, and it's set in Prague. That's good enough for me because I know (laughs) that she is a great writer. (laughs) So that's next on my list for my personal reading, which I read as quickly as I can because I have to shove it in between my strong sense of place books.
1: Yeah, I don't have, what you call it, work reading to do, so I can read whatever I want. Not to, not to like rub that in. I didn't mean to say it that way. <clears throat>
2: <laughs> well, and as you were
1: saying that,
3: I was like, I mean, work reading in air quotes because it's all right. great. <laughs> it's all really fun. They're
1: great books. It's It's good reading. So I actually just started... Uh, renovated to death, um, the first in what was apparently going to be a series, the uh, Domestic Partners in Crime Mystery. Um, this is a HGTV type couple where the two guys one, one's an actor and one's a writer, but they get put on TV to to renovate homes. And I believe the first one's already happened. first seasons happened. I think it was their house and now they're sort of on the hunt for this next house. and uh, I just just started on maybe three or four chapters in and no one's died yet. So someone's going to die. Um, and then in addition to <laughs> these two guys, I guess the actor is a, a TV movie person, but they have an actor and a writer and these two guys uh, do this home renovation thing they are also then going to solve a mystery apparently.
0: That sounds fantastic. Really, I can't wait to see what you think about this one.
1: Uh, so far, it's cheeky and and funny and, and moves pretty quickly. Sounds like great summer reading. It has been so far.
0: Speaking of great summer reading, I am planning on reading imminently Doris Kearns Goodwin's Leadership in Turbulent Times because I've been reading some of reading books like nonstop since January. Not really, but it can feel that way sometimes. And this year I resolved to be a completist of several authors I really love and wish I made time to read more of. And she is one of them. And yet here it is almost at the halfway point of the year. I haven't read a Doris Kearns Goodwin book in years at this point, and it is time. Also, I mean, I'm sorry, friends, the September releases are calling my name. And I've been very (laughs) patient about not reading when they first came in. Uh, I can't wait to read the new Sarah Addison Allen. I've been checking compulsively like once a month for many, many years at this point. When is the next book coming? The first of the year we found out the answer is September and it's on my shelf.
4: Oh, that's And exciting. I'm going to start it
0: very, very soon. It's called Other Birds. And I also have Nora Mcinnerney's book, Bad Vibes Only. I've not read any of her full length works before, but I thought this sounded like a good place to jump in. And of course, y'all, there are so many amazing books that have come out this year. Like, I feel like way more than usual. I don't just Mm -hmm. think it's that I know about them more. Um, April, especially, was just an incredible, it was an embarrassment of riches. And great books are coming out every month this summer. And we didn't share them all in the summer reading guide because they don't fit. There are hundreds of them. So I'm really going to enjoy exploring my options there and continuing to read the new books this summer and also just resuming my uh, regular preferred pattern of basically alternating the new with the old. I'm looking forward to reading more backlists this summer, which is how I always roll because it really works for me. I just got
3: really excited About turning on our big summer fan and lying on the bed
0: with the windows open reading a book. (laughs) That sounds amazing. (laughs) Friends, thank you so much for joining us, for talking about books with a strong sense of summer and sharing more about your podcast, your reading lives, and those wonderful book recommendations with our listeners. And William, thank you for hopping on this show. You've been on Patreon, I feel like, a lot lately, but not on the main feed in a while.
4: Always happy to be here. It's fantastic to see you guys. And it's such a joy to spend some time with you.
0: It has been a pleasure. Let's do it again. <laughs> Until then, happy reading, everyone. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Will and with Mel and Dave, and I'd love to hear what books you think have a strong sense of summer. Follow Mel and Dave on Instagram at strong sense of. Listen to the Strong Sense of Place podcast at strongsenseofplace.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And find the full list of titles we talked about today at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 331. The 2022 Summer Reading Guide is almost here, which means now is the time to make sure you're getting our newsletter. Next week, we're sending out the new 2022 guide by email. To get yours, sign up today at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to make sure it lands in your inbox on May 23rd. If you don't want to wait till next week, I do not blame you a bit. There is still time to join our Patreon community and tune in on Thursday, May 19th for our live summer reading guide unboxing. Get all of the details and sign up today over at patreon.com slash what should I read next. That's patreon.com slash should I read next to join us for unboxing and get your summer reading guide four days early. Follow us on Instagram at What Should I Read Next for more summer reading inspiration. And follow me at Ann Vogel. that is Anne with an E, B is in Books, O-G-E-L. We love seeing all of your reading posts and we love sharing what's happening lately here at What Should I Read Next headquarters. So come on over and follow along. Make sure you're following in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, and more. And tune in next week when I'll be talking with repeat summer reading guide author, Emily Henry, author of Beach Read and the new release, Book Lovers. We have a terrific conversation and I can't wait for you to listen. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.
1: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher